if you're watching from home and you're new to servants, you may not know who I am. My name is James Manley. <clears throat> I'm the assisting priest here at Servants. Ever since we've uh, gone under phase one, I've been the designated survivor among the clergy, so I've been staying away from Father Alex. I was here last week to sit in the balcony and observe and get a feel for how the service works, but it's been a long time since I've stood in this place. And I get handed a gospel that begins with division and violence. Jesus says he's not come to bring peace but a sword. He talks about divisions within a family, a son against a father, daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. These are harsh words and they grab our attention. We might want to wonder, is this the same Jesus who over here on this page says, fill in the blank, says anything other than this? Now, of course, we know elsewhere in the New Testament that um, There are all kinds of commands to us to care for those in the family, to be devoted to those in the family. We're commanded to love each other within the family. And we know, of course, there's no command here to reject the family or certainly not to abandon the family. Paul tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians that several of the apostles traveled with their wives in their ministry, and we assume their children as well. What is Jesus saying here? Well, it's simply a statement of fact. Jesus brings division, and those divisions run even within the family. It may help us here to realize that Jesus didn't come up with these lines himself. This isn't something that just popped into Jesus' head to say. Jesus is directly quoting one of the Old Testament prophets, the prophet Micah. From Micah chapter 7, starting at verse 5, and you'll see where Jesus picks up the quote, Micah is speaking about the time when God's time of salvation will come. You would think that would be full of joy, wouldn't you? But Micah tells us that when God's plan for salvation finally comes into effect, this is what your attitude should be, Micah says. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. You see that Jesus is directly quoting Micah here. Micah is warning us that when God finally moves to save his people, some of the people will be comfortable just where they are. They won't want to be saved. They won't want to be changed. And Jesus is saying that what was prophesied long ago, that God's time of salvation is coming, and when it comes, it will divide families. Jesus is telling us that that's coming true. Some desire God's work of salvation, and some resist. And that fault line, that division, runs between families as much as it does among any other group of people. And, of course, we all know that. Most of us have experienced that, at least in our extended families, of knowing that some want to follow Jesus and others are comfortable right where they are, but we know that's true. But Jesus says you must decide. In verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Division comes 
And so you must decide whose side you'll be on. Jesus is telling us that there must be evidence of siding with God's movement of salvation. There must be evidence of siding with Jesus' act of redemption. And the sign of siding with Jesus is what Jesus says next. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Oh, come on, what do you think it means? Everybody Jesus is talking to knows what a cross is. Everybody Jesus is talking to has seen someone hanging on a cross. This is not a rare event. Five times in three Gospels, Jesus tells his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. And it's crystal clear what that means. It's most clear in Mark's telling, I think, Mark chapter 8. Jesus asks his disciples, it's a familiar passage. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Jesus asks his disciples, who are people saying that I am? Blah, blah, blah. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. And Jesus says, you're right. And I'm going to build my church on this rock. And then Jesus says, but the powerful people, they're going to take me. They're going to beat me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to crucify me. And Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, whoa, dude, now come on. You're under way too much stress, man. You're, you're just depressed. There, nobody's going to crucify you, man, man. You're the, you're the Messiah. You're going to go down to Jerusalem and tell those Romans just what to do. Man, settle down, Jesus. They're not going to crucify you. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he turns to his disciples and says, you're going to have to take your cross and follow me too. Do you think they were wondering, what's that mean? It's pretty clear what that means. And Jesus goes on to talk about losing your life. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Christ? And what's it mean that when Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it? And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, what that means is you have a new identity. The word for life here is interesting. The Greek word that's used here is interesting. There are three words in Greek that mean life. Zoe, like zoology, means a living thing. Okay, when we say life in that sense, a living thing. Bios means life as a life force, kind of the life. When you die, you give up your life in the sense that you give up bios. You, like biology, you give up kind of a life force. Psyche is the word that's used here, and it means an internal life. When it's not translated as life in the New Testament, it's usually translated by the word mind. And in fact, that's where we get psychology from. It means soul or spirit or mind, some kind of an internal life. Jesus is talking here about your internal life. Not eternal life, but internal life, your inside life. The life that goes on inside your mind, inside your head. Jesus is talking about your identity, your selfhood. And notice how the contrast works. Jesus says, your family is divided. Your family will be divided, but you can be unified with me and my cross. Take up your cross, follow me. How much of our identity, our selfhood, comes from our family? 
how much of our personality is shaped by our interactions with our family as we grow up. Even to broaden things out to sociological terms, to think about race and class and sex, these things generally come through or from our family, but on a psychological level, level, on our psyche, on our selfhood, how much do we measure our success, our identity, by what our families taught us success is? How many of us were taught, if you get this, and that this is always different depending on the family, once you get this, then you're somebody. Then you'll be somebody. But taking up your cross means you quit building your identity on what you gain, to use Jesus' word, or how you perform. Your identity isn't based on the measurements that you were taught by those who raised you that your identity should be. We've been taught that that what we gain gives us the solid foundation for our life. How we perform gives us the identity that we need. But Jesus says if you gain the whole world, you don't have an identity. Not a solid identity, not a psyche, not a solid identity, not a life. Because you can never have enough to make sure of who you are. You can never have the career, the family, the friends, the success that's enough to provide a solid foundation for your life. And the evidence of this is, we've all known people who've lost those things and what happens to them, their life falls apart. People who look to their career for their identity, when they lose that career, their life flounders. We know this. We've seen it all over the place. But Jesus says the way you save your life, the way to gain a true solid identity is to give up your own measurement of your identity and to lose that old measurement of yourself for me and the gospel. Here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying I want you to, try, to quit trying to, to, to get the solid foundation of your life from your friends, your family, your career, and instead get it from religion because religion can be as much a performance-based identity that you gain as anything else. No, Jesus says there's a whole new way to have solidity and a foundation for your life, and that's Jesus. Jesus wants you to find your identity in what he has done in his performance. On the cross, Jesus lost his, well, if you want to think about it, his family identity. He lost his relationship with his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned against the son. Doesn't that sound just like our reading? He was forsaken by his father in those hours of darkness so that you could have a relationship with God as your heavenly father and be given a new identity by taking up your cross and identifying with Christ and his crucifixion. Now look at this. This is exactly what Paul tells us in our Romans passage. I was going to read again what Paul writes in Romans. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, unified with Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we've been united with him, identified with him in death, like, in a death like his, we shall certainly be unif- united with him 
in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self, our old identity has taken up our cross and was crucified with him. By taking up our cross and following Jesus and saying that his crucifixion, his death, was my crucifixion and death, that Jesus lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died, and that by uniting myself with him and taking his cross as my cross, I have a new identity, a new life, and a new self. Now, to be honest, here would be a really good place to end. Because here would be a really neat, nice place to end and have a nice feel-good sermon. This would be a great place just to stop and say, I hope that makes you feel good. Amen. And if you're at home, you might as well go ahead and cut the volume on your Facebook Live. If that's, what, if that's the kind of sermon you want, and then just watch until we stand for the creed and then turn the volume back up because Jesus isn't telling us this to make us feel good. He's telling us this to prepare us for persecution. The entire chapter is about persecution. We've been reading it piece by piece for the last three, uh, three weeks, three Sundays. In verse 16, Jesus says he's, sending, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. In verse 18, he says, you're going to be dragged before governors. In verse 21, he says, your brother is going to turn you over to death. Your father is going to turn some of you over to death. Your children are going to turn others of you over to death. In verse 22, Jesus says, you're going to be hated. In verse 23, Jesus says, you may have to leave your hometown. In verse 25, Jesus says, you're going to be maligned. In verse 29, he says, do not fear those who kill the body. Anybody feeling good? Jesus is telling us that our identity needs to be placed in him because to follow Jesus is to risk losing everything else. All the other things that we think give us our identity, our family, our friends, our career, even in verse 25, our hometown. But if we take up our cross and follow Jesus, we have an identity that can't be taken away. Why can't it be taken away? Well, Paul tells us again in our epistle reading again today that we've already died with Christ, so therefore we've already been resurrected as well. If Christ's death is our death, then Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. It's certain. And that's why just a few pages later, Paul can write this in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things, com- things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are all those things unable to separate us? Because we've been united with Christ. Christ has already died. 
Christ has already risen. And if you say, Christ died for me, your resurrection is sure. Your identity is solid. It cannot be taken away from you. In Jesus' name, amen.